Hey guys, Austin here with another short solo episode, and it's our first episode about our book club. And the first book we are covering is Nassim Nicholas Taleb's The Black Swan. And it is a bit of a mind bender, puts you in a bit of a mental pretzel at some points. And uh, we definitely cover a lot of what that means in the context of the topics that we talk about. Really excited to hear what you get out of this. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the short solo of the weekly call. So we can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. We can think about our problems and turn on those chemicals. That means then our thoughts could make us sick. So if it's possible that our thoughts could make us sick, is it possible then our thoughts could make us well? The answer is absolutely yes. You're listening to the Weekly Call Podcast with Austin, Hammer, and John. Welcome. It's enormously important that you do have the right friends. If they make you a better person than you otherwise would be, that's the ultimate gift. It deals, for the most part, with success. It deals with people who you started your life off with and what success does to them. People look at you strange saying you changed, like you worked that hard to stay the same, like you're doing all this for a reason. Remind yourself this fight that you're in this is what will make you stronger. Hey guys, uh, welcome to our third short solo. And I wanted to actually make this about our book club that we haven't spoke a lot about yet. So I appreciate the people that are reading along The Black Swan by Nicholas Nas, uh, sorry, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Uh, I think he just goes by uh, Nassim Taleb and continuously refers to himself as NNT throughout the book. Um, it took until I was at a page, a page 150 in this book out of about 350 to really just have a huge wow moment. And I want to be very clear here, don't have to be in the book club to get value out of this. Um, there's a phenomenon that's covered right now in this book about prediction error that I think is so relevant to a lot of the topics that we speak about on the podcast. And one of the things we've spoke about a lot on the podcast is decision-making around unknown variables and how that relates to when you should start something in your life that is new, challenging, whatever it may be. And I think a lot of us, if we've ever done that, whether it's starting a business or starting a new relationship, asking somebody out, asking for that check, um, trying to close your first contract, um, apply to the right school, you name it, we try to gather as much possible information as we can to make these decisions, right? This is what we think is necessary. And what this part of this book has done is really made me second guess the quantity of information one needs to make a decision, even a very important one. And The Black Swan is a book that is very dense, however, very, very novel in the sense that it really challenges ornate schools of thought and like just really just <laughs> puts you in your spot in terms of just the way you've trained yourself to think almost. In, by definition, a black swan means that it's an event that nobody saw coming, presumably. 
We're really bad at identifying these black swan events before they happen. However, after they happen, we're really good at creating a narrative about why they happened, right? So this book was written, I think in 2009 or 2010. And so this was post 9-11, post 2008 housing market crash, and obviously pre-pandemic, right? Now, what's interesting about this is that if you thought about this book from the context of the pandemic, well, that relates 100%, right? Did anybody see the pandemic coming? I imagine very few people globally. However, now that we're, I mean, depends on where you are in the world. In, in Canada, it seems like we're slowly getting back to normal. However, you know, gathering in small groups, wearing masks in public, kind of starting to get that feel back. Summer's nearing an end. We look back on March 13th when the country shut down and we went, oh yeah, you know, I could see it makes sense now that all that happened. You know, the schools closed, the stock market crashed. People had to change their lives entirely. But when it was happening, it was so hard because it was so unpredictable. Right. And now that it's a couple months over, it's we're really good because we're humans. I like the one thing that those of us that have done landmark have have learned is we're meaning making machines, which is something uh, a saying I really love. Um, and I wanted to get into this one thing about the quantity of information that one needs to make a big decision in their life. So I'm going to read a few excerpts from the book. They're all within a few paragraphs of each other. It, it, take me, it took me 150 pages to find. Um so for those of you that want to follow along, it's on page 145, top half of the, the page. So I want you to kind of position yourself in a, for anybody that's read the book, reading the book, or hasn't read, hasn't even touched the book or heard of the book yet, doesn't matter what position you're in, I want you to think of a time that you thought you needed more information in order to make a decision, right? Any one of the five or six contexts I gave earlier, starting a business, asking somebody on a date starting a new relationship, applying to the right school, something big, buying a new car, right? Think about this, right? Think when was a time that you thought you needed more information, hesitated, sought more information, and then made your decision, right? Think about something like that was present for you there. It's going to make this exercise a lot more useful. So for me, it was starting a business that I currently run and own, right? Totally, you know, not, I didn't feel like it was the best time to do so when I was doing it. And I thought I needed to get a lot more information, which I felt like I did. And that's the context that I'll kind of use throughout these excerpts. So the first one is, it goes like this. Finally, in another experiment, the psychologist Paul Slavic asked bookmakers to select from 88 variables in past horse races that they found useful in computing odds. These variables included all manner of statistical information about past performances. The bookmakers were given the 10 most useful variables and then asked to predict the outcome of the races. Then they were given 10 more and asked to predict again. The increase in the information set did not lead to an increase in their accuracy. Their confidence in their choices, on the other hand, went up markedly. Information here proved to be toxic. I've struggled much of my life with the common middle brow belief that more is better. More is sometimes, but not always better. 
The toxicity of knowledge will show in our investigation of the so-called expert. Now, there's a lot to pick apart here, but I just wanted to highlight one thing. Think about the situation that I asked you to think of, right? What was that situation for you? I'd encourage you to say it out loud. Like I said, for me, it was the time I decided to launch my business and start it. For a lot of people, that never happens and 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 get or even gets procrastinated because you feel like there's just never a right time to do it, right? And what we're waiting for is more information. We're waiting to know what the best market time will be, like what the best time to enter the market will be what the best time in your life will be, how much time you'll have the most money and be the most comfortable and be most unaffected by any mistakes, right? And I encourage you to think about this in the context of your problem as I'm sharing about mine. And think really about what that means, you know? Did I really need to work for somebody else for another full year before I launched my business? Did that serve me logistically or did it serve me emotionally? Was the additional information that I learned in that extra year of not starting my business when I got cold feet actually serving me or did my confidence go up? In the context of this example, the gambling professionals were given, or the bookmakers, sorry, the people that set the odds, so presumably good at gambling, (laughs) were given the 10 most predictive variables in predicting a horse race and they made the predictions then they were given 10 more variables and then asked how more how much more confident they felt in their predictions after those 10 variables they felt much more confident however their predictions did not get any better they got zero percent better (laughs) right but what it means to be human is to actually resonate in the feeling in the feeling of how 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 prepared you are not the actual reality of how prepared you are and it's it's really really interesting to think about what this means there's two more examples of this in 1965 Stuart Oskamp supplied clinical psychologists with with successive files each containing an increasing amount of information about patients the psychologists diagnostic abilities did not grow with the additional supply of information. They just got more confident in their original diagnoses. Like, think about that for a second. When a doctor who's human and possesses human tendencies cognitively and decision-making-wise diagnoses a patient with cancer because of one possible precursor or symptom or visible thing on, on a scan, if thereafter one other symptom presents itself that's in line with that diagnostic, they get a lot more confident in it. And what happens when you get more confident in something is you opt to think about these things less. Sorry, about the opposite being true less, I should say. The more things that start to fall in line with your prediction positively reinforces your ability to, I mean, it might stroke your ego a little bit, However, it, it almost embarks this blindness. And the, the third example, I hope will really hit home with you to kind of drive this home because it really made me literally just put down this book and go, wow, 
because it makes perfect sense in, in the context of this example. Show two groups of show two groups of people a blurry image of a fire hydrant. Blurry enough for them not to recognize what it is. For one group, increase the resolution slowly in 10 steps. For the second, do it faster in five steps. Stop at the point where both groups have been presented an identical image and ask each of them to identify what they see. The members of the group that saw fewer intermediate steps are likely to recognize the hydrant much faster. Moral? The more information you give someone, the more hypotheses they will formulate along the way, and the worse off they will be. They see more random noise and mistake it for information. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, is what stopped me from doing what I thought I needed to do for 12 months. What that extra year did for me was just, it just let me formulate more hypotheses. It just let me gather more data. You know what it also did for me is it, it allowed me to procrastinate. And I mistaked, I, I was mistaken. I <laughs> What I thought was information was random noise. I could have still been doing it right now. I could have just been, oh, you know what? Next year will we'll work, right? And a lot of people go, oh, you know what? Like, you know, the, 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 <laughs> the casual advice you'll get from friends and family is, dude, just do it, man. Just just go and like, you just got to do it. Like, and, and, <laughs> and to a certain extent, I just want to highlight this. If you've been getting cold feet about something anywhere in your life because you thought you need to wait more to get more information, feel, the, you know, test the waters, gather your thoughts as annoying as that person is in your life that's just going to oh, do it, man. They're not wrong. <laughs> like, I, I hate to say it because I hated that person too. Like, there were many people who were playing that role for me. But they're not wrong. And the reason they're not wrong is, as that I hope everybody can see by this point, is that they're telling you what they're trying to say is... <laughs> Don't get tricked by information being beneficial, as beneficial as time goes on. It becomes marginally less efficient and useful. And, you know, I had a really good conversation with somebody that was very, very hesitant about telling somebody that they love someone, right? So a completely different part of life. And they thought the option, the best option was to wait. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't seem like the right time. I'd rather just kind of be friends with the person, get to spend some more time with them. And then when the, when it feels right, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to wait a little bit longer. I'm going to get more information. I'm going to feel better about it. Right. 
Well, think about what that is in the context of these examples, right? The information you're going to gather between now when you feel this way and the time that you eventually talk to the person, if at all, is actually toxic to the action itself. The information you get is marginally less valuable every single time you get a piece of information. Right? Right now, when you're thinking that you love the person, you're in the group of people that get presented the five photos of blurry images of fire hydrants, right? So you can recognize that so much faster. And you have. You're there. You recognized it. But what you're doing by waiting is you're actively asking to be put in the group that's shown 10 images of blurry fire hydrants. You think that seeing more photos of blurry fire hydrants will let you see that it's a fire hydrant. <laughs> and... I hope that's clear. <laughs> like, if you're presented with more stimuli, once you've realized what the stimuli is, the value of each successive presentation of the same stimuli gets less valuable. It It's so simplistic that it's almost like, it's almost frustrating, right? And it, coming back to the meaning-making machines comment, why is this frustrating? Because we want to think that there's more at play here. And this book has changed my perspective on how much information I need to make a decision. And for somebody like me, that changes my life. It really does. I, I, like the, I, I don't want to exaggerate here, but this is a monumental realization for me, really. I, I, I'm somebody that's hyper-conservative. Not not politically speaking, just decision making and risk speaking, right? Risk wise, I'm risk averse. That's who I am, right? And the reason I'm risk averse is because I think there's a lack of information when I'm making decisions. And why do I think there's a lack of information? Because I like to be really prepared. I'm pretty organized. I like when things work nicely. I like when a, when I like when people follow a schedule, right? So. Uh, I, <laughs> There's a reason my friends call me Austin Google Calendar Trudeau, <laughs> right? Like, um, you know, like th it's because I think that information is really valuable no matter when it's presented to me. And what this has taught me is that that's not true. Information when it's presented to me at first is very valuable. But as time goes on, the value of successive information becomes marginally less valuable. It's not a linear function, it's a quadratic function. It's it's a it's an exponential function. And I really hope this message has resonated with people because I was reading this book at a in a quality inn and suites in Mississauga, Ontario this week. Alone in a hotel room. I was I was in Toronto for work and reading this book and read that page and literally had to get up and go to the bathroom and just splash some water on my face. <laughs> I was beside myself. This book, or this page, page 144 and 145 of The Black Swan by Nicholas Nassim Taleb himself has put me in my place decision-making-wise. And I can't thank the author enough. Like, this person is was educated at the Wharton School of Business. He is a absolute 
intellectual and gifted writer. And I would encourage anybody, no matter what you're doing now or with your life, just if you want to maybe change things up with how you look at your um, the, the biggest goals you might have for yourself, read this book. Specifically, read the prediction error part of this book. This book has four or five parts. The prediction error part is part two, and I think it's maybe like, I don't know, 75, 80 pages possibly. Don't quote me on that. Hey listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Weekly Call. We just have a quick yet very important message for all of you. The three of us are currently actively in pursuit to find young, ambitious, and like-minded people that are interested in business management and business ownership roles. Roles that three to five years ago put Austin, Ammer, and John in a place where they could learn, grow, and optimize their discipline and habits. These positions are available all across Canada, so it doesn't matter if you're in Victoria, British Columbia, or St. John's, Newfoundland. There is an opportunity where you are located. If you are interested in working directly with Ammer, Austin, and John and learning what it takes to run an efficient and scalable business, please drop us a line at theweeklycallpod at gmail.com, all one word, for more information. Now back to this episode of The Weekly Call. Um, but that's where I'm at, and, uh, and, and it's very, very impactful. So I hope people got a lot out of this. I hope that this sits well with people. And um, please do not be hesitant to message us with feedback on these little short solo episodes. They, they change themes for sure. And we really want to know what you think, not only of the short solo format mixed in here and there, but also the book club stuff. Uh, and this will continue throughout the year as uh, either myself, John or Ammer are reading new books that we enroll our listeners in reading, which I know there are a few. We've already shouted them out on a few episodes. Um, I know that uh, Adam Dennison's reading along with us. I know that uh, Connor Blass is reading along with us. I know that uh, I think Valerie Senka is reading along with us. I'm definitely forgetting a few people. Don't don't torch me in the DMs. But um, yeah, no, I really appreciate you guys uh, messaging us with feedback that you, for those that have already, and and we'll we'll catch you on the next short solo. Thanks so much. Hey listeners, thanks so much for tuning in this week. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at the weekly call pod or through email at the weekly call pod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material and just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.